Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. So what am I supposed to say about the unbelievable two-tier system of justice we have in this country? You know, just about everything that I've been saying for the last seven or eight years, just about everything that Donald Trump has been saying for the last seven or eight years is being proven every single time I turn around. And the majority of the media, you know, just just covers up for this crazy stuff that, you know, how do you explain how the same Department of Justice that prosecutes and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get down and dirty because they are down and dirty, right? The same Department of Justice that prosecutes young black men in inner cities under something called the Safe Streets Law, meaning if they're found with a weapon or if they lie on an application to get a weapon or to get a permit, they throw them in jail for five years. And they brag about it. They're so proud. Safe streets. So the safe streets, uh, you know, rule. Well, apparently, that only applies to anybody other than Hunter Biden. Okay, because Hunter Biden breaks the law, obtains a weapon illegally by lying on a federal form, and then... The weapon gets discarded, whether by him or by the girlfriend, the wife, the the brother's wife, whoever it was that discarded the weapon, in an inappropriate manner, drops it into a dumpster, making it accessible to any criminal who saw her do that and retrieved the gun. But don't worry. As long as he pleads guilty to a minor charge of tax evasion. Now, mind you, if I were to evade my taxes last year, it would amount to a couple of thousand dollars, right? You know, when Hunter Biden evaded his taxes, we're talking millions of dollars that did not go into the federal IRS account that should have gone there. And he is the son of the sitting president. But don't worry, because, you know, it doesn't matter. He was battling his, I love this line, he's battling his drug addiction. His father is proud of the progress he has made. How many people in your world, in your life, in your family, maybe how many of you have battled a drug addiction, battled alcoholism, battled, you know, mental illness and depression, all these things that all of us have to battle, but we're not able to escape the consequences of our behavior. You know, we didn't become millionaires while we were doing it, or at least I don't know any. 
I guess people, if they were dealing drugs, might have become millionaires. I don't know. I, I don't know anybody like that. Everybody I know had to lose everything before they even, you know, cleaned up or got sober, or whatever it was that they needed to do. But not Hunter Biden. You know, he could break the law. He could become rich. He could, you know, take pictures. He could make deals with foreign, you know, countries. And we're just going to say, we're so glad that you're getting your act together. I, I'm just, there's nothing to, you know, that's it. I've said all I'm going to say. I know that um, many people are very upset, and I love the way the media is spinning this. Well, you know, the conservatives and the Republicans, you know, I don't know what they want. You know, the Department of Justice handled it. Yeah, not the way they would have handled it if this was, you know, Eric Trump. Not the way they would have handled it if it was Joyce Kaufman. Not the way they would have handled it if it was you. And I want you to think about that because it could be you next. But you're not related to Joe Biden and you are not a member of the power elite structure in this country that can pull strings and even get their political opponents indicted over and over again. That's what you're not and what I'm not. And that's what Hunter is. And there is nothing, nobody can make this case that they're trying to make today that the Department of Justice examined it, they didn't have sufficient evidence, they didn't this, that, really? Really? But, but meanwhile, they spent millions of dollars investigating the former president for holding on to documents which he had every right to have in his possession. We can debate for hours whether he should have just given them back when they first asked. But we're talking about Donald Trump. We're talking about somebody who doesn't trust them. And I can't imagine why, <laughs> right? So he said, no, 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 under the Presidential Records Act, I can look through these at my convenience, and I, it hasn't been convenient yet. You know, I had to try and resurrect an empire that they destroyed. You know, I had to decide whether I was going to put my family through this again. You know, I heard him talking about how Ivanka and Jared are not going to be part of this administration because his, he, he cannot subject his family to the kind of incredible and deliberate attacks that they faced and would face again while Hunter Biden, you know, cavorts around on Air Force One and gets a slap on the wrist for breaking multiple laws, federal laws, mind you. And that's why when, when you ask me, and, and this is my, I want to send this message out, particularly to the people in the audience who are so hell-bent on, it can't be Donald Trump, it can't be Donald Trump. You better pray you're wrong, and it is Donald Trump, because they're coming after you. And when they come after you, and there's nobody standing in front of you, you're going down. But it won't be because, pe it won't be because someone like me thought that they could poo-poo all this away and that anybody, anybody could come into this messed up government that we have right now in Washington, D.C., who doesn't know where all the bodies are buried and doesn't have nothing to lose. Donald Trump has nothing to lose. He will never have to run again if he gets back into the White House. He knows where all the bodies are buried. He knows who the bad guys are. 
And he knows there ain't a hell of a lot of good guys, so he's not going to be depending on them. And he's not going to be listening to the Republican National Committee who tells him, well, appoint this guy and appoint this guy and appoint this guy and appoint this guy. He learned the hard way. He better surround himself with people who think like him and who are willing to take the slings and arrows for the American people because anybody less than that can't do what needs to be done. My, my heart literally palpitates when I think of how right in your face they did this, right in front of us. Here's how we'll get Donald Trump. He'll never be able to be president again. We'll see to it if we do it in the city, if we do it in the federal government, we'll move the trial, we'll do this, we'll do that, but he will never be president again. Of that, they have promised themselves. And we just stand by and go, well, okay, well, who should, we, who should we nominate then? You better dig in your heels. I'm telling you right now. If this doesn't give you a motive for fighting and supporting the man, I don't know what will. You're just lost. You're just pathetic is what you are. You have no fight in you. You've been drinking too much of the water that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. says is filled with chemicals that have feminized you. Yeah, I'm a girl, but I don't want to be that feminine that I'm not willing to fight and try to get my country back and support the one person who's willing to take some slings and arrows for me. I thought that's what government is for. I thought they're supposed to be between me and the nightmare. Instead, they are the nightmare. And you just, and, and those of you who go, oh, you are upset. Um, you don't like it when anybody says anything about Donald Trump. You, you can't handle the debate. You don't want to debate the issue. You know why I don't want to debate the issue? There's no time to play this game. You know, I, I heard you all. I heard you all from the beginning. You're just dead wrong. And you're wasting precious time and money and energy on pretending that somebody else could do what needs to be done. There is nobody else who can do what needs to be done. I'm not even sure anymore that he can do what needs to be done because at some point, you know, his back, his back may be broken. You know, I don't know what the straw is that'll break his back. I really don't. But I'm telling you, Anybody who have vacillates and calls themselves a conservative, shame on you. You know, just move aside, man. I, I, I have no time for you. I'm not debating you. I'm not playing with you. I don't want to be, you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to be open-minded. I want to save my country, and I'm running out of time. I am running out of time. And the fact that you won't fight gives the opposition all the ammunition they need to take him down. Because they're sitting there going like, well, he doesn't really have that, you know, that biggest support like he did in 2016. You know, I don't know. He even had more support in 2020. You know, now there's this DeSantis guy and there's all these other people coming after him and all this other stuff. And then they, they say, okay, well, let's go in for the kill. They're not going to back him up. They never do. That's what you gave them. I don't want to say that I, I, I despise you for what you're doing. So I won't say it. I'll just think it. Anyway, I got a couple of guests coming on. I'm going to talk with uh, Chris Jemalensky from Numbers USA in the next segment of the show because what's happening at the border is it's, they're lying to you. They're just lying to us. And at, once again, we're going like, okay, well, um, let's look over here. You know, let, let's talk about this instead. While millions and millions of people are coming across the border and, and now they're trying to expand these immigration policies to make it even worse. 
and you're all just like, mm, do, 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 do. When's the next episode of The Chosen? You know. So anyway, it's my job to make sure you wake up. I'll be coming back with Chris Chmielinski, and then in the latter half of this show, I'm going to be talking with a Republican candidate who is uh, trying to bring some civility, fiscal discipline, and security back, and his credentials are pretty darn good as a Republican uh, aiming for a nomination for a congressional seat. So stay right where you are. There's a lot to talk about today. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. All right, and uh, welcome back. As I promised, I have Chris Chmielinski, the VP and Deputy Director of Numbers USA, a website that for the last, I don't know how many years, I have uh, been working with and using information from when it comes to the immigration debate. How are you doing, Chris? Well, 27 years, by the way. 27 years. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's true. And we're still fighting the good fight. But every time I turn around, I realize how they continue to lie to us. I told my audience yesterday that they all needed to call their congressman because all of this nonsense that is being handed down to us now by Congress is really, you know, now we're going to allow more guest workers in and not count the guest workers who are already here? How's that going to work for us? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting proposal, but it's not a new one, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're seeing is we're seeing the House work on the, on the separate individual appropriations bills, either the spending bills for the next fiscal year. We haven't seen this in, in at least five or six years, so it's a good thing that they're doing it. Um, but one of the first ones that they're rolling out is the Homeland Security Appropriations Bill for, right. for spending levels for the next year. And, of course, it's only supposed to set budgetary numbers, but they're doing a bit of legislating with it as well. And they're going to expand both the H-2A agricultural and the H-2B non-agricultural low-skilled guest worker programs, despite the fact that we've had millions of people pouring across the border illegally. Most of them are low-skilled and probably working in these in these mm-hmm. job fields. Yeah. And, you know, what I said to the audience was back in well, 2007, when the McCain-Kennedy bill was our, our battle of the day, everybody said, right. oh, you'll never be able to stop this bill. And we did exactly that. We called our yeah. congressman. We tied up the, the, the switchboard in, in Washington. We called the president's office, and we shut that bill down. It never made the light of day. Why do people not believe they can do it now? Well, that, that, that's why they try to sneak it into into spending bills. Yeah. And they're like, you know, OK, so vote against funding the Department of Homeland Security. Then that's mm-hmm. what it's going to take for you to to oppose these guest worker expansions. Um, and I just want to add, not only did we do it, do it in 0607, we did it again in 2013. They said the Gang of Eight bill was right. inevitable mm-hmm. and we and we we were able to stop it in its tracks. So the American people poll after poll shows they don't think we need more guest workers. Mm-hmm. Um, Agriculture is a difficult area, but what they're doing in this appropriations bill, they're not bringing in more 
temporary and seasonal field work. They want to expand it to year-round jobs. So that includes jobs and things like dairy and meat processing that wouldn't normally be covered by the H-2A visa, uh, which is meant to cover seasonal shortages, like when you have a harvest, for example, and you need more hands on deck. Um, Mm -hmm. The H-2B visa program, this is to fill jobs in landscaping and hospitality. You know, these are these are jobs that teenagers used to do or college students when they were home for their summer breaks. Um, but instead, while a lot of them are still willing to do it, you can see it by the unemployment rates. A lot of them still want to do this kind of work, but instead they're relying on cheap foreign labor to do it instead. Yeah. And then they give you these border encounter numbers. The new numbers are out and they contradict the administration's claims that they're reducing illegal immigration and the strain on our borders. I think there were uh, 273,141 border encounters, which is only a 0.7 percent reduction from the month of April in May. So what a lie. I mean, they just divert our attention. Yeah, yeah, that's a, well. That's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to divert your attention away from the border. And I'm glad you mentioned encounters because encounters are very different than apprehensions. Right. Because so many people were focused on the apprehensions. Those are the people that cross the border illegally and then present themselves to border patrol. But encounters also crosses the people that are coming in illegally but are trying to do it through ports of entry. So that's what that total encounters number. And the bottom line is that we have the same number of people trying to enter the country illegally. They're just trying to do it at ports of entry or through the CBP-1 app that the Biden administration has rolled out rather than simply just crossing the border illegally. Right. And if you factor in the number of migrants who are encountered at these ports of entry, it just gets higher and higher. Now we got migrants who are encountered at our northern border and the ones that were illegally paroled in here. And those don't show up in the administration's numbers, but they're real. (laughs) Those are people stealing jobs. Right. That was that was the next point I was going to make. None of these numbers include the estimated 30,000 plus that they're giving parole to from outside of the country. So these are individuals that would normally cross the border illegally. Um, So they would be counted either as an apprehension or an encounter. But what we're doing is the Biden administration is being proactive. They're going to them in their home countries. They're saying, hey, if you come to the United States unauthorized, we'll give you parole in advance. And then they just fly him in here. And that that was the program where they said they were going to set aside about 30,000 of these of the uh, 30. They would admit 30,000 people from some of these high risk countries um, um, to come in through that. And those aren't even showing up in the numbers. So that's a whole nother a whole nother group of people that hopefully we'll be able to find out what those numbers are. But we're not going to find it out through reporting. We're probably going to find it out through oversight from Congress, bringing people in and and forcing them to answer the questions under oath. Yeah, I mean, if the NSA is able to spy on Americans, and we are now quite convinced that that was what was going on because we've gotten, you know, admissions of that from all these federal agencies, how do we not trap or attract these phone apps that we're handing out to these people that allows the inadmissible migrants to schedule an appointment and be granted right. entry at a port of entry. I mean, uh, modernity is a wonderful thing, but really we're trying to make it easier to come into this country? I, I don't get it. Right, and we're doing very little vetting of these folks when they came in. We just learned a couple of weeks ago uh, ICE had picked up an individual who had re- just recently crossed the border illegally for the second time, 
and was apprehended by Border Patrol and released in the United States, picked up in Massachusetts because they eventually learned that this individual was convicted of murder down in South America. Mm-hmm. So no vetting happening there. And then also the number of people that are coming in that still are connected to the cartels and owe them money and are essentially being put and used into as, as, as slave labor labor with some of these companies that are in cahoots with the drug cartels um, yeah. to, to, to pay off their debts for getting them here in the first place. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, instead of inviting these people here, which is what the Biden administration does, we need to start. We need to just stop. We need to discourage them from coming in the first place. Right. But instead, this administration is finding every way possible to allow them to continue to come, just find different paths that they can come. Right. And with them comes sex trade of young girls and boys. Exactly. With them comes unlimited amounts of fentanyl. We keep picking it up in the innermost portions of America, looking at places like Kansas where the fentanyl problem is huge. And I'm thinking to myself, how does an administration ignore all that and say, well, it's okay with us if there's sex trafficking and it's okay with us if our people are dying of fentanyl overdoses on the street? I just don't understand how the left, which always said, well, we're looking out for the little guy can get away with this right right and 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 the bottom line is that nobody approves of this even even most democratic voters don't support these policies the problem is is that they're voting for other things so until every american regardless of which political party they 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 side with uh or if they're just in the middle until they start showing up at the ballot box and saying we're not going to accept this anymore and start voting some of these people that are pushing for these policies out unfortunately i'm 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 not too confident that things are going to change in the near future Mm. you know i'm i'm doing the best i can i'm still fighting the fight and i like i said i told my people yesterday the way we stopped this in the past and it may be a different issue today is that you have to flood Congress. I don't care what, you know, my particular, uh, you know, I have a a congressional person who's useless, really. But I call his office because I know they're keeping a tally. And if enough people call these offices or call the switchboard in Washington, they do notice that because those calls equate to votes against them. And they cannot you know, play around with those figures. So we got to do that. And Numbers USA is a website that makes it so easy for us to do that. You know who you're talking to. You know what you're trying to say. Don't be intimidated. This is your, you know, this is your country. This is a republic based on what we tell our representatives to do. And if they're not doing what we want them to do, we have a responsibility to speak up. And, you know, again, as I say, go to the website, numbersusa.com. They'll show you. They'll show you what to say. You don't have to make it up, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm so glad you, you brought up that point because that is the two most impactful things any citizen can do is call their representative or their senator and tell them how they feel about one issue or another issue or where they stand on a bill um, or show up at their town hall meetings or their local district offices. Um, you know, they get thousands and thousands of, of electronic messages, whether they're coming by emails or faxes or, or, or some other sort of, of form. Um, they get thousands of those every single day. It's the phone calls, though, that have the impact because they don't get as many of those. And the other thing, too, 
is they have to take time away from what they're doing to answer the phone to talk to constituents. That's so a it great also thing. Totally disrupts their phone call. Their, yeah. their their working day rather. Yeah, that's a great thing. That's probably my favorite part is just tie up switchboards. I remember in two thousand and seven, and you couldn't get a call right. through to the White House or any congressional office, and that was what we wanted. So we need to do it again. And of course, you know, we don't have as many allies as we once did in Congress, and and that pains me. But uh, we just keep fighting the good fight and and get rid of Mayorkas. We, listen. You know how I feel, and I know how you feel. Thanks so much for coming on today, Chris. Always appreciate it. Thanks, as always. All right, and take care. All right, and we got to take a break, because when I come back, I'll be talking with the gentleman, Chris Eddy, who is running for a, the nomination, a Republican nomination for a congressional seat here in uh, a district that many of you live in, and many of you are sick and tired of the representative who's been representing you for eons and who is a useless, if not vindictive and awful human being. Anyway, so you stay right where you are. I'll be right back. So one of my uh, last speaking experiences was at one of my favorite clubs, which is out there in Tamarack, Kings Point. And prior to my going out there, I was contacted by someone who said, look, you know, I have a candidate I think you'd really be interested in, and I'd love for you to interview him. And I said, well, I I don't just interview people, you know, so, uh," and she said, well, we're planning on being at that event where you'll be speaking. I said, great, if you're at that event, then I'll know you're serious and come up and introduce yourself to me. And that's exactly what Chris Eddy did along with his uh, staffer. And I got to tell you, I'm not, you know, I'm not that easily impressed. I'm really not. But this is a pretty impressive guy who's taking a pretty long, uh, hard look at a district that has been in the hands of the Democrats here in Florida for, I think, ever. I I don't remember. I'm down here 45 years, Chris, and I think that's been a Democrat district the entire time. Chris Eddy is the candidate that I'm speaking with today. How are you, Chris? I'm doing great. Thanks you so much for having me on. No, listen, you know, if you're serious about this, and I saw that you were, then this is a district that has been in contention over and over again, and we have not been able to secure it. So it's time to put on, you know, some kind of battle for the nomination instead of only always having one person uh, in the race. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I agree with that. You know, I'm a retired Air Force general, brigadier general from active in the reserves, a retired FBI leader here in Miami where I led their intelligence program, and we ended up as the number one ranked intelligence program out of the whole FBI out of 56 offices. Uh, I got a couple master's degrees, a Ph.D. in leadership, and I currently teach at FIU mm-hmm. as an interim professor, national security and foreign policy uh, issues. So. Yeah, when I retired, my wife's a retired FBI agent as well, and we're actually disgusted by what's going on with the leadership there. Uh, I just couldn't scream at the TV anymore. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you ever, you and your listeners, ever turn on the TV and you say, is this the best we could do for right. politicians? Honestly, I'm on both sides. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew I had the background to do something, and, and honestly, you and Rush Limbaugh, uh, inspired me to get involved, because that's the way you said things... Uh, the mm-hmm. only way things will change is if normal people mm-hmm. get involved. Yeah. And people who have 
um, some ability to lead because what I see is this lack of serious leadership in Washington. It's a go along to get along. It's stay in power, stay in office as long as you can. And they've completely lost sight of how this republic was designed. It was such an incredible idea that you would have citizen legislators. And these people are, you know, they, they're not citizens anymore. They live in this, you know, uh, magical world of Washington, D.C., and half of them never come home. And that's, I think, a big problem. They get up there and they start representing D.C. instead of representing their district. Mm-hmm. And they want the next committee assignment. They want to be on TV. And there's too many of these congressmen and women that come out of their sessions and head right to the TV camera. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, they don't come home. They don't represent their district. and Or their district has changed. Thanks mm-hmm. to redistricting, I'm in the 25th district here, mostly flowered. It used to be 48% Democrat. Now it's only 42% mm-hmm. Democrat. So it's definitely winnable. We have a lot of Democrats coming to our side saying this is not the party that I remember. It's not even, you know, they say it's not the party of Kennedy. It's not even the party of uh, Clinton anymore. Right. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I I think you also, besides the experience that you've had and the leadership experience, you've also put yourself in the position of running for, you're a commissioner, right, in the town of Weston? That's right. And the same thing happened during COVID. I got mad at some things, and I said, who's my commissioner? Who do I complain to? (laughs) And I went down and talked to her, and she's now the mayor. She says, I'm vacating my seat. You should run for office. I I said, no, that's not our family. That's other people run for office. And then she said, well, wouldn't you rather be the one making decisions rather than Mm -hmm. somebody else? Yeah. And that, that really got to me. And then, you know, I have high school kids. I went home, and they said, you know, Dad, quit complaining and do something about it. Amen. Which is exactly the advice I give them. So I, I wanted to be a great example for, for my children and, and our family as well. And, and I'm running for those who cannot run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And look, I, you know, the 25th Congressional District is Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Um, she had unlimited resources for many, many years. She was the chairman of the uh, DNC. She was, uh, you know, highly ranked with the Clinton administration. And all of that made it a very tough seat, no matter what the numbers were, because when you got those kind of resources, you can blanket the airwaves and you can knock everybody off their, you know, off their uh, platform. Uh, that's now no longer true. I don't even know, and I've heard a lot of rumors that she wants to stay there very much longer. Um, you know, this is not the easiest job in the world to hold for that long. That's why they're two-year terms, you know. So at the end of two yep. years, if it's not for you, you can go home or you can commit to another two years, but not to another 10 or 20 or 30. You're right. It's not supposed to be a lifetime job. And, and no. you know, we're not going to out-fundraise the Democrats down here because they have no. national reach. And, uh, but I got into the city commission race with just four months to go, mm. and I was out-fundraised six to one by two other opponents and we still won with the most votes in city history, despite being a, a three-person race. And we did that just by work, a great ground game with lots of trusted volunteers. We don't pay our volunteers. We have people that are truly committed uh, to the cause. I'm the grandson of immigrants who came to Ellis Island out of mm-hmm. Lebanon. And they taught us early on to have a strong work ethic. Don't complain. And when you win, share the credit. But when you lose, take the blame yourself. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the way, 
we became a nation of victims instead of victors. Mm. And, and I aim to reverse that in this district and hopefully nationwide. Yeah. Well, I think you have cross-partisan appeal, which I think is very critical in, in that kind of a district with those kind of numbers. But the other thing that I think is whoever gets the nomination on the Republican side, there's a good likelihood that the person at the top of that ticket is going to be a Floridian, whether it's, uh, you know, Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis, you know, that's a pretty good possibility. And that always helps other Republican candidates in the state. So it is a, pr a pretty important time. Let me ask you, what are the biggest issues for you if you get this seat and you go up to Washington? Obviously, um, sec security is a big issue for you, but there are things happening in this country that are going to need immediate attention. How would you rank them? What's the three most important things that have to be addressed? The, the first thing I think is that what I hear from both sides, you mentioned that cross-party uh, appeal I have, is mm -hmm. civility. People don't want people yelling and screaming at each other without proposing solutions. And Washington tends to come up with solutions that there are no problems for, like the student right. loan issue. There was no problems with student loans before they created that. They're more concerned with student loan payments instead of Social Security payments, right. which leads to my second priority, which is fiscal discipline. You know, we're paying $475 million a year on interest. That's more than we pay for all veteran services combined. We have to get our fiscal house in, in order. Otherwise, it doesn't end well uh, for our nation. And we, we spent, sent $400 million for border security in the Middle East, but none for our own border. That's just crazy. Yeah. And I think people on both sides of the aisle look at that and go, what, what are we doing? We choose to negotiate with Iran rather than our longtime friend Israel? Night. They don't think it makes sense, and they're losing that connection with D.C. politics. So mm -hmm. civility, uh, fiscal discipline, and you mentioned security. And that goes mm -hmm. for border security all the way to education security. Honestly, mm -hmm. we uh, in the last 60 years, we doubled the number of students in schools. We tripled the number of teachers. And then our administrators in schools are up 700 percent. Wow. So, again, our priorities are way out of whack for educating our students. Mm -hmm. And the way we're educating them, and we look at the, some of the ideology that's being taught in elementary school to children, tells you that, uh, you know, the same, look, w I would go to jail if I said something to a child like teachers are teaching, and, and that's amazing to me. If I talk to a colleague at the radio station, the way employers are now talking about woke ideology to their employees I would get hit with a sexual harassment suit. And yet we're watching this happen and we feel kind of helpless because we don't seem to have congressional leadership that pays attention to this. Of course, they're busy playing whack-a-mole. You know, it's Ukraine. It's, it's, uh, there's a million things that they have to deal with on a daily basis. But for goodness sake, if they're not going to make the priority of the American citizen their priority, we're in big trouble. I agree. You know what? A recent poll came out that 65% of active duty military people think the military is becoming too politicized. Mm. So that's both parties, right? right? And they're more concerned with pronouns than protecting mm. our country. And we hear that from friends in the FBI right. as well. In the cross party appeal, you know, 70% of our nation thinks we're on the wrong track. Right. That, that's both sides mm -hmm. think we're headed down the wrong path. Yeah. And that's why I, I think we have attention down here, we're getting such good numbers on our side, is that people do care less about
about the price of the war in Ukraine and more about the price of eggs in Publix. Absolutely. It's those kitchen table issues, and Congress just seems to forget about that. Yeah, they do. So how can people find out more or get involved in your campaign? you have a website? I do. It's, it's simple. It's Eddie, E-D-D-Y, the number four, Eddie4Congress.com. Uh, you could sign up to be one of our many, many volunteers. You could certainly donate uh, through that. Uh, that website, you can, you can even see policy positions. I'm not ashamed or embarrassed about where I stand on the issues, and I'd gladly a- answer anybody's questions through the website or through the email. But Eddie, the number four, congress.com. Thanks so much, Chris. We'll talk again soon. Great. Thank you for your time. Enjoy your show. All right. Thank you. And you see, it's the caliber of people that we need to work on. And so, you know, that's. That's somebody who brings a lot to the table, so we need to know about that. Now, he does have an opponent in this Republican, someone I've known for years, who is also, uh, you know, former military. She has tremendous um, capacity, and she's welcome on the show. Anytime, Carly, you want to be on the show, you just let me know. All right, let me take a quick break. Don't forget, 1 o'clock, Dan Bongino, 4 o'clock, Ben Shapiro, 5 o'clock, Matt Walsh, 6 o'clock, the WPTV News, and on and on it goes until Jen and Bill are back in the morning. I have one segment left. I got a lot more to say. Stay right where you are. Man, oh, man, you know, you just, every day, I just, uh, I know the feeling that most of you are experiencing you, you just, you can't believe the stuff you're reading. Now, I have to talk about this story. Not that I really, um, not that I have any insight or knowledge about this story, but every now and then, it gets really um, close to the heart when we hear about something that I don't know about the rest of you, but probably my biggest fear is, um, you know, being in a situation where I have a 1% chance of survival. And that's exactly what the people who are in this submersible, you know, and we could debate all day whether or not it's a good idea to, you know, to do this. Uh, You know, to, to launch into the deep sea. And yet, most of us are holding our breath and praying. You know, I was at a church service last night, literally. We were praying about the people who were in that submersible because they have less than 24 hours of breathable air on board. Not to mention that it's very cold down there. And we have no idea whether Stockton Rush, Hamish Harding, Paul-Henri Norgelet, Shazada, and Suleiman DeWood uh, have blankets or enough clothing to stay warm. Um, you know, this is a pretty low-tech submersible. It's not like a submarine. You know, it requires a mothership to launch, has very few power, I don't think it has any power reserves, and it can't stay underwater for long. And the ship interacts with the vi- vi- vessel, but with the submersible every 15 minutes, and they have not had contact with them since an hour and a half or an hour and 45 minutes into its descent. And they've been searching for it ever since. Now, when the 40 children were lost in the Amazon, you know, the time was, the clock was ticking. And I think that very few of us really knew the story. Like, 
I really didn't have any knowledge of the story until about, I don't know, it was maybe 20 days into the plane crash and the acknowledgement on one of the wire services that a plane had been found and that some of the people on board, the, the, the pilot and uh, you know a woman, their bodies had been found, but there had been four children on the flight who were not found. They had not found their bodies, they had not found the children. And it was at that point that the clock started ticking in my head. And that clock ticked for 20 days. And I have to tell you, as each day went by, I was, you know, just preparing myself for the fact that, of course, there, there's little or no chance of survival, right? And then 40 days after that plane crash, those four children were rescued. 40 is a magical number anyway. 40 years in the wilderness, you know, 40 minutes in paradise. Uh, you know, so I, I understand that hope springs eternal and prayer works. So since they're since they were recovered or rescued, you know, I have a whole new attitude about like, at what point do you give up? I don't know that you should ever give up until there's a resolution one way or the other. And so I don't know how they're gonna rescue these people because it's not just a matter of finding them. Now they think they've heard some banging, um, but do they have the right kind of recovery equipment to get them? You know, and what condition is the sea in? Six to seven foot swells? It's 50 degrees at the temperature? There's all these, the US Coast Guard is there. The uh, Canadian Coast Guard is there. Uh, everybody in the private industries who is able to has gone to this, you know, to this area. But, uh, you know, I don't know. None of us know. And I don't know that the tapping, ha you know, that they're hearing every 30 minutes. That kind of concerns me. If it's coming at every 30 minutes, that seems too predictable. If I'm stuck in a submersible trying to get rescued, I'm banging on that thing until my hands are bleeding. You know, that's just me. So uh, that's a story that I think is going to um, resonate. You know, I, I try to imagine like what happened, right? You know, did they get tangled in the wreckage of the Titanic? Is the Titanic going to claim another five lives? You have a British billionaire in there. You have, uh, you know, a father and his son in there. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting story, and it's pretty scary. And I think it will lead to a lot of conversations. You know, we're sending people up in space, you know. <laughs> um, and people, you know, are so cavalier about this that they would climb into a fiber and titanium 22-foot vessel and go all the way down into this vast North Atlantic Ocean at the risk of getting entangled in the wreckage. Who knows? But it's a long way from anywhere, the wreck site. So just keep, this is my, my request, is don't ever give up hope. You know, keep sending up prayers because I believe prayer works. And, you know, there's always a miracle that could happen. And, you know, with things the way they are in the world, we need a miracle. Right about another miracle. The 40 days and the kids was one miracle, but we could use another miracle. I'm, I'm hoping for a miracle on the 2nd November of 20, 
2023, but that's a whole other show. Uh, 2024. Thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon. If it be his will, any delays is coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Then I ask that God bless you. God bless the people in that submersible by Ocean Gate. And God bless the United States of America. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.